Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about food in the city of Detroit. Food production, food distribution, and food access. Malik Yakini, co-founder and executive director of the Detroit Black Community Food Sovereignty Network, will join us to talk about the new Detroit People's Food Co-op, which is an answer to some of the food insecurity and uh, scarcity that we have in the city of Detroit. And then we're going to hear from Winona Bynum, who is the executive director of the Detroit Food Policy Council, about how the food co-op fits into the larger ecosystem of food access and food justice in our city. Malik Yakini is the co-founder and executive director of the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. He's a board member of the Detroit People's Food Co-op, which is that community-owned grocery that is being built right on Woodward <laughs> Avenue here in Detroit. He's here to discuss what the Detroit People's Food Co-op is and how he is helping to make it happen. Malik, welcome back. Thank you Detroit so much, today. Stephen. It's a pleasure to be back. It's always great to have you here, man. Um, so uh, let's start here. There are some people who I imagine don't know about the Detroit People's Food Co-op. Uh, I am someone who lives not too far from that intersection. Uh, and so when I drive home each day from the studio, I pass the the site of it. And I have been noticing all of the things that are coming together over there, including the really big colorful sign that's now on it. And I always figure... That's the signal that something's really coming. Once the sign is on it, it's really happening and it's close. So let's talk about what the Detroit Food, the Detroit People's Food Co-op is. Okay, Stephen, let me first say that the organization I lead uh, recently changed its name to the Detroit Black Community Food Sovereignty Network. We started oh. in 2006 as the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. Yeah. And perhaps as we go through the interview, we can talk about the difference in food security and yeah, sovereignty. No, that's an important distinction. But we started in 2010 working on developing a food co-op, which at that point we didn't have a name for it. But we knew that the lack of access that Detroiters had to fresh, healthy, nutrient-dense food was limited. And we also knew that in a majority black city that at, at that time there was, I think, one black-owned grocery store and so what we see is an extractive food economy where other ethnic groups come into the black community, both in Detroit and also throughout the country, and really extract that retail dollar from the community. And in many cases, those merchants are not hiring people from the community. In many cases, they're not circulating the money in the community in terms of charitable causes. And let me, let me be clear, because I always want to uh, not overgeneralize. Mm -hmm. There are some merchants in Detroit who are doing a very good job. There are some who have better relationships with the community. There are some who do hire people from the community, but far too many don't. And so overall, what we see is an extractive food economy. And so we wanted to address both of those, both the health aspects of not having access to healthy, nutrient-dense food, but also we want to address the ownership issue and the issue of how money circulates. So instead of seeing millions of dollars extracted each week from Detroit's black community, we'd like to see those dollars circulated within the community so that we're creating community empowerment, we're creating ownership, and we're creating employment. That, that idea of a food economy that, uh, that captures uh, local spending and redistributes it locally as opposed to uh, other places is, is a really important idea 
Um, but but talk more about why that matters. Why, why do we need that for Detroiters? Well, let me say that the food economy uh, is the first economy of any society. And this is something I learned from Orrin Hesterman, who runs the Fair Food Network. And so as you're looking at how you reshape the economy in a place like Detroit, food has to figure prominently because people are typically eating two, three meals a day, most people. And usually there's some money that exchanges in relationship to obtaining that food. And so as we're looking at how we rebuild the economy and how we make a more localized economy in Detroit, food has to figure prominently into that. Yeah. You know, so a friend of mine says that food is the only thing you can't get used. And so you pretty much, you pretty much have to obtain it on a regular basis, either through purchasing it or through the various emergency food uh, services that are available. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the model that you're using at the food co-op. There are people who don't know much about that model, I guess. Um, so what's the value of this idea of a cooperative in, in the food access context? Uh, the main value of it is that community members have ownership and just uh, and thus can shape the store. Maybe this is a good point for me to make the distinction between food security and food sovereignty. So food security basically means that a community has adequate amounts of calories. They have enough food that people are not hungry. They can go about their daily uh, business, uh, which is certainly an admirable bar. But in a society as wealthy as America, it's a very low bar. Mm -hmm. And so a friend of mine, Raj Patel, once said to me that you can have food security in prison. So clearly what we're striving for is something more than just people having enough calories. Uh, that's something more that we're struggling for is really having the power and the ability to shape and define the system that provides our food and also to benefit from that, besides from just uh, obtaining the food to benefit economically from that. And so this idea of shaping the food system is really called food sovereignty. And so that's, that's the idea that we're pushing. So if you don't make a distinction between food security and food sovereignty, you might see it as being progress if a Walmart, let's say, moved into the city of Detroit mm -hmm. and opened up and made uh, greater access available to Detroiters. So on one level, you might be addressing the issue of hunger and access, but you're certainly not addressing the issue of who owns, controls, and profits from those stores. And so that's one of the major distinctions between food security and food sovereignty. So the Detroit People's Food Co-op is what we call a consumer co-op. It is owned currently by um, 2,136 what we call member owners who have paid or are in the process of paying a $200 fee for a share of membership. Mm -hmm. And as a member owner of the store, they can run for, vote for, and nominate others for the store's board of directors, which is the body legally uh, uh, responsible for operating the store. Also, particularly in the pre-opening stage, where there's hundreds of decisions that have to be made about design of the store, about the types of products that we'll sell, about the store culture. Those decisions are being made by member owners, by people in our community who have invested in the store and see themselves as having a vested interest in uh, creating and owning a community-based grocery store. Yeah. So the, the, the cooperative model uh, differs from the corporate model in that in a corporation, if you have lots and lots of money, let's say one person might be able to buy 500 shares, another person who has a little money, maybe you can only buy 10 shares, the person with 500 shares gets 10 times the voice that the person with, uh, or, or 50 times of the voice, my, I, my math is a little <laughs> You're good. <laughs> the, uh, 
they, they get a, a larger voice a depending on more. the amount of money <laughs> that right. they're putting up. So co-op is a flat, democratic, horizontal structure where there's one person, one vote, and community members really get to, to make a say uh, in what's happening in their own neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and the idea here is that this will be more than just a grocery store. I mean, you're trying to create a community hub of sorts. Maybe that's not quite the right term. but That's a good, that's a good term, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. And what, what else goes into that? Well, so the building that the Detroit People's Food Co-op is located in is called the Detroit Food Commons. And that building is on the corner of Woodward and Euclid, 8324 Woodward at Euclid. Um, so the Detroit People's Food Co-op, well, let, let me back up again and say the organization that I lead, the Detroit Black Community Food Sovereignty Network, partnered with Develop Detroit Incorporated, uh, led by Sonia Mays. And we jointly raised the $21.6 million to build the building. We jointly own the building. We created a, 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 an LLC, a joint venture called Detroit Food Commons LLC. And the Detroit People's Food Co-op is the tenant on the first floor of the building. They occupy the first floor of this 31,000 square foot building. On the second floor, we have four shared use kitchens that the Detroit Black Community Food Sovereignty Network will be leasing, renting out to food entrepreneurs of various scales. And we have a 3,000 square foot community meeting space slash banquet hall that we'll be renting out for weddings, uh, uh, graduations, parties, lectures, film showings, uh, musical performances, and the like. And then the Detroit Black Community Food, Secu- uh, food Sovereignty Network's offices are moving on to the second floor of the building also. So in a sense, it will be a hub for activities related to building uh, black food sovereignty in the city of Detroit. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea that it goes beyond grocery yeah. and grocery shopping uh, to these other things really speaks to this idea of uh, of how, how, how all of this has to kind of fit into a network, right? Yeah. If you're really going to make change in this space, you can't just, uh, this is the point you were making before, you can't just provide groceries for folks. You've got to put it in the context of uh, production and ownership and distribution. Yeah. Yeah. As you said earlier in the introduction, you know, there's so many factors uh, that go along with poverty uh, that, you know, create this kind of multifaceted situation that we had. So there's no simplistic answers to these complex problems that we have. So part of forging solutions is understanding the interconnectedness of these problems. And so we are not just trying to provide greater access. We're trying to build the community power uh, and trying to build a consciousness in our community where people see themselves as having the responsibility for shaping the system that provides our food. And hopefully that will translate into other systems so that we don't see ourselves as just consumers, but we see ourselves as producers and shapers of our own reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Malik Yakini. He's the co-founder and executive director of the Detroit Black Community Food Sovereignty Network. He's also a board member of the Detroit People's Food Co-op, which is a community-owned uh, grocery and community hub that is being built on Woodward Avenue at Euclid in Detroit. Uh, we're talking about food access and distribution and equity here in the city of Detroit. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, if you're someone who lives in the city, give us a sense of what your experience is like trying to get access to fresh food in the city. Do you have a hard time getting to a grocery or a place with fresh food and vegetables? What do the options look like in your neighborhood? Uh, what would it mean to you if you had 
better options closer to home is something like the Detroit People's Food Co-op, something that will uh, really change your access to, 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 to fresh food. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Uh, but, but before we get to a break, Malik, I want to talk a little more about the current landscape of uh, grocery options in the city and how it's changed so dramatically. I, I tell this story a lot. Uh, the the neighborhood where I was born near Livernois and Grand River, uh, we lived on uh, West Tuxedo Street over there um, near Tuxedo and Monica. And at Tuxedo and Livernois, when I was a kid, there was a place called Sunshine Market. Um, and it was the local grocery. Uh, I don't know who owned it. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know its history. But I do know that you could go there and there was fresh food. Uh, you know, it wasn't the, the, the swankiest place in the world. It wouldn't hold a candle to modern groceries, but it was there. Today, that's a dollar store. Um, and when I go through the city and see former groceries, sites of former groceries, that's a lot of what I see. A lot of these former stores are now dollar stores. Now, I'm not casting any aspersion on dollar stores. I mean, that's a part of our economy as well. But it's not the same as a grocery. Uh, that, that access that we've lost is just absolutely tremendous. If you wanted to walk from the neighborhood where I was born to a fresh food option, you're at more than a mile, which is just not realistic for a lot of for a lot of people. So I, I, I w- want to have you talk a, just a little about that landscape, how it's changed, uh, and whether it whether it really is getting better or uh, if we're still if we're still losing, I guess. Well, let's start by saying that there's about 250 or so what the state defines as grocery stores in the city of Detroit. About 65 of those are what we would consider full service grocery stores. The other 190 some are what we would call convenience stores, party, in, store. in party stores yeah. in the city of Detroit. Um, of, of those, currently two are owned by Blacks, the uh, Linwood Fresh Market on Linwood and Glendale and uh, neighborhood market that my brother Raphael, uh, neighborhood grocery that my brother Raphael right, recently opened on the east side. Um, so what we find is that we're functioning within a larger economic context. And so there's a couple of factors at play. One is how the grocery industry works. Mm-hmm. And what we see increasingly is consolidation of firms. We see larger stores buying up smaller stores. And so we see less diversification in the market. This is a characteristic of American capitalism. The big fish swallows the small fish. So we see a lot of that happening. What we also see, though, is that many times grocery stores follow population density. And so I'm familiar, very familiar with that area. In fact, my very first girlfriend lived on uh, uh, um, right, right near there. I'll just, I'll just say <laughs> where that. I, where I live. Yeah, right, right near there. I'm not going to say the exact. But right near, say, Cecilia. And, you know, I've lived in Detroit all my life as well. And so, you know, we've definitely seen a decrease in population you know, over the last 30, 40 years or so. And we've seen many people moving out to suburban areas. And so what we see now is a concentration of larger grocery stores in suburban areas where there is more affluence and where there is larger population density. And so we're faced with both the 
the kind of peculiarities of, of, of American capitalism where big stores are swallowing smaller stores and we're faced with the particular circumstances that uh, Detroit and other large cities are faced with as the population shifts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Malik Yakini. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I do want to talk about this change that happened in city government in uh, Detroit recently. We now have. Uh, someone who's in charge of food uh, uh, access and security, Tapfira Rushton is uh, her name. I'm sure you know her, of course. Uh, we had her on the program after after she took that job and had a really interesting conversation about what she thinks is the power of city government to play a role in uh, expanding expanding food access. But I wonder, as someone who's worked in this space for such a long time, what your reaction is to city government getting involved. You know, uh, the people always joke uh, about someone showing up and saying, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. And <laughs> we don't always we don't always find it to be that way. So I'm curious how you how you're receiving this. Well, first, I think it's a tremendous step forward that Detroit has appointed its first director of urban agriculture. Uh, this is something that our organization and many others have been advocating for for uh, well over a decade. And so we're glad that that move has finally been taken. I, I want to be clear, though, that the urban agriculture movement in the city of Detroit and the movement for food justice and food sovereignty is being led on a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And the kid, the city government is coming along, sometimes kicking and screaming. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're beginning, I think, to see more how urban agriculture fits into the redevelopment of the city. But I want to be clear that the leadership of this has started on the grassroots level. And to the extent that we have politicians supporting it, it's because of the long-term relentless work of people on the ground. So Tepir is one of those persons who has been... Right. They it, reached out to, to the grassroots yeah. part of this movement. Well, right? you know, Tepir was the founder of the Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund, the initiator of that. And in that capacity was negotiating with the city on the behalf of several farmers uh, to purchase land. And so because of her interactions with the city, she got a chance to see how the city government works and they got a chance to see how she works and they respected her and she was offered that position. So we think it's a tremendous step forward. I would say, though, that I'm always concerned when we have a singular city department. We have a director of urban agriculture, but no other staff persons. And so we want to make sure that going forward, that there is an adequate budget al- allocated for that office, that there is adequate staffing so that Tepfira can do the work that needs to be done to, to break down the great uh, inequity that we see in the city of Detroit and to empower the majority population to have access to land to, uh, to build greater food sovereignty. Yeah. Uh, if you could think of one or two things that city government could be most helpful with, in terms of food access and distribution and ownership, which uh, I think you can't have the conversation without talking about uh, about ownership. What what would be on that list? Well, a couple things. One, you know, water is a huge issue. Now, the city proper doesn't control the, the water system, uh, but it's still, you know, it's kind of related to city government, I'll mm-hmm. say that. And one of the problems that local farmers are having is that we're charged the same rate that someone is charged for a home water bill. 
And in Detroit, a, a large portion of the water bill is actually for sewerage. I think it's something like 75% of your water bill is actually for sewerage. And so the water department makes the assumption that, let's say, if 500 cubic feet of water come through the meter, that you're also putting 500 cubic feet of water back into the city stormwater management system. That logic holds if you're a homeowner and you're flushing the toilet and water is going back in the sewers. But if you are a farmer and a farm is a permeable surface and you're absorbing the water, actually what you're doing is you're diverting water from the stormwater management system. And so we need some some water rates that recognize uh, the contribution that agriculture is making to uh, to not overloading the stormwater management system. Uh, the second thing that that we would like to see, of course, is an easy, a more easy and a more consistent road to land ownership for agriculture. And uh, I certainly the work of Tepfir and others have started moving things in that direction. But we still see some inconsistency depending on who you talk to from the city about purchasing land. You may get a different answer on a different day if you have a depending on the person you're talking to. And so we want to see clear policies that are transparent and apply equally across the board. And then the final thing I would say is that as we're looking at increasing uh, grocery store or shelf space in the city of Detroit, uh, the city of Detroit can actually incentivize uh, grocery stores and other food-related businesses, and particularly co-ops that are owned by community members, could actually incentivize those so that we see uh, an intentional effort to build these community-owned uh, grocery stores in the city of Detroit uh, so that community members have ownership and a stake and are not just the consumers at the end of a complex process. Yeah, uh, you and I have had conversations before about the land question that you're raising and who owns land in the city of Detroit and how hard it is uh, for so many people who would like to own land or more land uh, to get it right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, land, I mean, this is a... Uh, you know, the United States was founded largely because, you know, people from Western Europe were coming here looking for land that they could have access to. So this issue of land ownership is a continuing uh, issue that that uh, that plagues American society and that continues to create great inequality and great inequity between those who so-called own the land and those who don't have access to land ownership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. Let's start today with Brenda in Detroit. Brenda, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Go ahead, Brenda. Um, I'm sorry, the reason I'm calling in, I had a friend of mine give me a call and tell me that this wonderful topic was was online. I'm actually a small-scale developer. I'm developing a small concept called the Corner Store in Detroit in the Northwest Goldberg neighborhood and just sharing just how difficult, even on a small scale, just to have um, a retail option within a neighborhood footprint. So I just called to say that I support all the efforts um, that that you all are doing and that I'm just the whole concept of just having food accessible in Detroit outside of dollar stores mm-hmm. and gas stations is um, something that shouldn't be a novel idea. It should be a daily, it should be a daily uh, experience of being able to walk to your neighborhood grocery store. Yeah. So, so Brenda, first tell me a little more about uh, the project that you're working on, uh, but, but also 
give me a little more detail about the challenges that that you're having. What I guess is is coming up in your way. Uh, well, it's a little small, um, sixteen hundred square foot building that I purchased. It used to be a hundred year old grocery store in Northwest Goldberg, um, and so I'm rehabbing it. I purchased it uh, about a couple of years ago, and I have a commercial real estate background. Um, I know my way around commercial real estate development, and it's just been very difficult trying to secure the capital for this small project with the store is only 800 square feet. Yeah. And it's just been a long um, process just to get that, that little bit of money. And the problem is that as you delay your process, construction costs are going up. Sure they are. Um, time is not your friend, and what you're seeing is like these huge increases in construction costs, which just further push down um, your project. Yeah. yeah. Sister, Brenda, is your store on Ferry Park? Pardon me? Is your store on Ferry Park? Yeah, it's on um, 16th and Ferry. It's called Corner Store, K-O-R-N-R. It used to be the uh, Crockett Grocery Store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um you know, let me extend my my offer of assistance to you. If there's anything that the Detroit Black Food Sovereignty Network can do, we'd be glad to help you. We've been in the grocery space and perhaps can can share some of our experience that might be helpful. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm actually I've closed up the funding. Um, we've met a couple of times. You know, I appreciate you. And I will be circling back to you, though. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of capital and the difficulty Getting it together, which anyone who's developing in Detroit is is uh, familiar with. Uh, you've had a long journey at the People's Food Co-op. I mean, this has been uh, I want to say 2010. Right, it's more than ten years. Yeah. Uh, you're going to open in February 2024, but talk I, I, about, actually, no? at this point, we're projecting April. April. And, and okay. Okay. There's been a few a few problems. <laughs> some things always. dealing with D, yeah, some yeah. things dealing with DTE and a, yeah. a few you know contractual issues. But we're almost we're 99 complete with the yeah. building. Yeah. But 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 talk about that journey from 2010 to now. That's a long time to work to try to get something so vital to the community open. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll just say first that if we want to build things, we have to be committed to to the long term. Mo- most things that are of value are not built instantly. And so uh, we have to have like this longevity to really get these things done. So I want to really stress that for people who are considering building grocery stores or any other kind of community institution. Uh, secondly, I'll say that, you know, racism is built into American capitalism. And I'll start by one of the basic tools that is used by financers to decide whether or not they're going to finance a project. And that's what's called a market study. And so market studies are fraught with all kind of uh, 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 notions about what a city like Detroit is like. For example, when the Detroit Whole Foods store opened in 2013, the market study uh, had certain sales projections. And as it turned out, the, they were all wrong. Yeah, they were all wrong. The store blew those projections out of the water, and per square foot, that is now the best-performing store in, in the whole, whole Foods chain. And so there are certain assumptions about Detroit that aren't captured in these market studies. For example, there are many people in what we call the shadow economy in Detroit, people maybe who are doing hair in their house or who are baking cakes or making meals on the, the weekends. There's all kinds of things that people are doing to make money, some of which are 
are sanctioned by the state and some of which are not sanctioned by the state. But nonetheless, that's an important part of the economy. And so if you do a market study and you don't take that into account, then your results are going to be skewed. And there's many other ways in which market studies are skewed. And that's one of the first steps that creates discrimination and who gets financing and who doesn't. So, uh, yeah, we were on a very long journey to raise this $21.6 million. I will say that one of the things that worked in our favor, frankly, is in 2020, both the pandemic and the police murder of George Floyd Mm -hmm. shifted people's consciousness in terms of financing, funding, and that many more funders were interested in creating uh, streams of funding that went to create racial justice. And so we were in some ways perfectly positioned at the right time. We already had all our I's dotted, T's crossed. We were in a position that we were able to uh, to accept that funding, and we've been able to move forward with the project. Yeah, twenty one million dollars. That's a big. It's a big number, but uh, uh, relatively, you know, it's all yeah. it's all relative, right. you know. And had you said twenty one million dollars to me ten years ago, I would have said, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a huge number. But now, for me, the veil has been kind of pulled back, and that's on, what it takes, on, right? on a certain level, it's not really a huge project, right? And so part of what we have to do in our community in order to accomplish big things is think on a larger level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Brenda, really appreciate uh, the call and uh, your insight there. Let's next go to Gloria in Southwest Detroit. Gloria, welcome to the show. Yes. Good morning. Good morning, Malik. Good morning, my uh, sister. Peace, peace. How uh, are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good to hear you. And thanks for your work. Good to again. hear you. Gloria is one of the key people in creating the Detroit Bioneers Conference, mm-hmm. which continues even though she's stepped down from the leadership. Thank you so much for your work. <laughs> you are most welcome. Uh, what I want to uh, make a connection, which is, you know, with two systems. The one is our education system. What do we feed our children? Mm-hmm. And uh, the other connection. I mean, we all know it, but systems need to be connected. The other connection is with the systems that feed us, the catering of uh, when we have meetings, when we have whatever, whatever, so that those systems are aware and help support locally grown, locally prepared, healthy food, uh, ethnically conscious and all of that. So I just wanted to bring that up because if we don't feed our children good food, we they eat junk, as we know. So sure. that's what I wanted to say. Thank no, you. Gloria, I really appreciate you raising that point, um, especially the systemic point. Uh, Malik, is is part of the vision here with the food co-op that, again, that it connects with uh the growers in the city and the other people working in the food space to make sure that, again, that you reach beyond people who need groceries and come to the store, but maybe into schools. Maybe it becomes a supplier for uh, for school lunches. Maybe it becomes uh, you know uh, a, 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 a way that people in neighborhoods where they don't have resources. Uh, end up with them. Is that is that what you're sort of hoping happens as a result of this? Well, I'll say the school food situation is, is a very complex situation. Well, that's a really hard thing to get it, involved It is very in. hard yeah. to do. And yeah. It's federally funded. There's really inadequate money per meal in the in the current farm bill for lunches. And so it's a, a real task for school districts to figure out how to make nutritious meals with the, uh, with the small amount of money that they have. Most uh, kitchens in Detroit schools are not even food preparation kitchens. They're just heating up food. Just and warming up. Just yeah. warming and reserving. So the school food situation is very complex, but I will say that we had in Detroit uh, a food service director, Betty Wiggins, several years ago, 
who was making tremendous strides in transforming school food in the city of Detroit. And for whatever reason, the city of Detroit or the Detroit public school system was not able to retain her. And I don't want to go into all of the grimy details of that, but she's currently in Houston. So we were making great strides and we've seen kind of a lull in that action since Betty Wiggins left the city of Detroit. Uh, But we, yes, the Detroit People's Food Co-op is intentionally connecting with local growers. We intend to buy as much of our produce from local producers as we can. We're trying to help stimulate the local food economy and bring some of these pieces together so that, uh, you know, what we've been doing with farming now connects with what we're doing with policy, with the Detroit Food Policy Council, connects with retail, so that all of these things kind of work together to create a more just and equitable food system. Yeah. Okay, uh, Malik Yakini, it's always great to have you here. We got to tell people how they can join the co op. Yes, absolutely. So so that's the most important thing. People can be member owners of the Detroit People's Food Co op by going to our website, which is www.detroitpeoplesfoodcoop.com. Again, that's www.detroitpeoplesfoodcoop.com. We currently have 2,136. Member owners, we would love to have you. We'd love to bump those numbers up to at least three thousand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm joining very soon, and I will be shopping there because again, this is uh, right around the corner from from my house. Um, uh, April 2024. Cannot wait for Great. we can't uh, wait for this to open. And oh, we got all kind of jobs opening too. We, we need to say that people need to stay in touch with us because we're currently hiring for managers in the store. In February, so we'll be hiring for the rest of the staff. So we're going to create about 40 new jobs. So stay tuned. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about food and food access. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. about what food justice might look like here in the city of Detroit. Now we want to give a little more context for that conversation. How many grocery stores do we actually have in the city? And why is that number trending downward? Also, what could we do to reverse it? That's where we continue the conversation. And we've got Winona Bynum here with us. She is the executive director at the Detroit Food Policy Council. Winona, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me back. Yes, it's great to have you here. So before we get into grocery stores, I want you to talk just a little about the Detroit Food Policy Council, what you guys do here in our city. Yeah, so the Detroit Food Policy Council is one of more than 300 food policy councils operating around the country. Um, The thing that is unique about us is that we came out of community action. Actually, the Detroit Black Food Sovereignty (laughs) Community (laughs) Sovereignty Network, right, get all the, um, (laughs) get that right. Um, They were, um, and Malik Yukini was uh, um, key in forming our Food Policy Council. So they formed it, as a way for us to talk across sectors. I think you, when I was listening to you, were talking about all the connections with water, with uh, development, with um, schools, when we talk about food security and food sovereignty. And so to get folks to be able to talk across those sectors and really to think about how you can get long-term change done, that is what we do. So we convene. Um, We just had our annual Detroit Food Summit um, in October 
Um, we'll be having another one next October. But in between, we're meeting and we're working together and we're working on grocery stores. We're working on policy issues. We're working on policy issues at local, state and federal level. And we ask all Detroiters and all people interested in food sovereignty and food security in the city of Detroit to join us. Yeah. So so let's talk about grocery stores. I guess I was a little surprised to learn that the overall number of groceries is actually still going down uh, in the city and has gone down since 2017. I don't think that's something most people would assume was true. Why is that happening? Yeah. So the pandemic was really hard on grocery stores. <laughs> um, most of the grocery stores, as you know, in our um, community are independently owned. And so when you talk about a family run entity, they were having trouble with staffing, um, you know, just longevity, uh, even sustainability, passing that along. We had a couple of fires, so different things, but the pandemic was very difficult on grocery stores in the city. Yeah. You know, it seems like when you ask a question about why something is happening right now uh, so often, the answer is the pandemic. I mean, it, 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 the consequences of that disruption are kind of everywhere. Um, and, and you know, the, the idea that grocery stores in a place where we didn't have enough to begin with uh, uh, are, are part of the part of the casualties, it's, it's pretty distressing. So, you know, what is the answer? To that, how do we get to? How do we get more people to want to open groceries in the city? Look, the 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 people's food co-op is a really great option that's going to be here soon. But we still need neighborhood groceries. Uh, it's we a do. big city. Uh, you can't get to other neighborhoods very easily if you don't have a car, and a lot of people don't. So, so how do we get people to to want to do that and to do it in you know uh, an equitable and a and a just way? Right. So um, one of the projects we've been working on since, uh, well, actually, since this goes back to 2012, but really formally 2016, we formed the uh, Detroit uh, Grocery Coalition. And we have been co-convening that with Wayne State University and partnering with other organizations to help support our grocery stores in the city. Um, again, community, if you have ideas, please reach out to us and join. But we've been working on that, bringing some resources. Um, the first project we really got started on was during the pandemic, supporting those grocery stores around operating safely during the pandemic mm -hmm. um, because there were threatened, threatened, you know, there was threatened uh, threats of uh, grocery stores closing, many of them more closing. So we wrapped their, our arms around and supporting them. We've been doing the Great Grocer Project since uh, around that time, same time, um, providing technical assistance to grocery stores, uh, providing um, incentives and in how to improve, connecting them with the community. So we've been working with um, um, Matrix Health Systems, uh, uh, Wayne State University, um, Auntie Nays of Village, um, to connect with the community and actually talk to grocery stores to know what grocery, what the neighborhood wants. Um, we, one of the things, the markers that we've been following is how much of uh, revenue is leaked outside of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about $500 million every year that goes outside of the city 
on food. And so if we could capture that, that means jobs, that means uh, food sovereignty and food security for the city. Um, so we've been working really hard on that. A um, lot of partners, um, the Department of Neighborhoods was an important partner in that uh, DEGC. So just so many of us working together and community members not even associated with an organization, as Malik talked about, um, this has been really a grassroots um, effort to support our community. And um, one thing I would say is there are some grocery stores that are doing a great job, and we also try to make sure that people know about those. Yeah, yeah. Let's quickly go to Deborah in Detroit. Deborah, we're running out of time, but I wanted to get you in here. All right, really quickly. Hi, Winona. I am part of the a minor, minor person in the Detroit Food Policy Council, and I just wanted to say two things quickly. Number one, I had no idea until I joined that there was a difference between saying food desert and food apartheid. Hmm. Deserts are a natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. The food deserts in Detroit are man-made, mm-hmm. not a natural occurrence. I challenge any, and my second point is, I challenge anybody to go into the city, look at what some grocery stores offer. As soon as you walk in the door, there's stuff that suburban stores don't even have. High fructose, corn syrup, sugary drinks, cookies, candy. As soon as you walk in the grocery store, you don't see that. You do not see that in suburban stores. Yeah. Uh, and so I am proud of the work that Winona and uh, uh, Ms. Brown are doing in the Detroit Food Policy Council. But we do need uh, more stuff to help get that work done. So just just yeah. saying, think about those things, Detroit. And thank you. Deborah, I really appreciate the call and the and and the comments. Uh, you know what she's talking about, Winona, really gets to this idea of production and distribution, not just the stores, right? The stores are are the end uh, of 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 the of the cycle, I guess. Uh, the 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 beginning is is important too, and you've got to change that to change the outcomes. Exactly, and that's some of like through the technical assistance. And hey, Deborah, she is not a minor <laughs> council <laughs> She's member. Being She's modest. amazing, um, but um, that's part of it as well. Is again talking together, connecting farmers with the grocery store owners. Um, so that they can have healthy produce, um, making sure that um, we support urban agriculture, which is becoming more and more and more important in food security and food sovereignty, um, not just in the city of Detroit, but across um, the country and the globe as a global movement. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Winona Bynum of the Detroit Food Policy Council. Again, great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. 
If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.